Works now. <laughs> I love yeah, how our technical yeah. solution is just, uh, I right. don't know, plug so it, pull the plug, plug it back in. Basically, <laughs> the equipment just randomly fails. <clears throat> we don't know why. And if we just unplug it and plug it back in, it's fine. Right. Like, it works on the test stream. And then we go live. It doesn't work. We unplug it, plug it back in. <sighs> Sophistication. Seems like something we need to fix. Or not. I mean, I'll put it on the backlog, sir. Yeah, the backlog. The old backlog. The old backlog. All right, here we go. Uh, well, welcome, everyone, to the Alfalfa podcast presented by Zbiotics. It's new. That's new. It's wow. new. Yeah. Uh, coming in with a bigger sponsorship. And uh, we'll be doing some giveaways throughout the month. People like those. Yeah, some free Zbiotics. It's part of the deal. Thought that would be fun. Um, yeah, we are four entrepreneur and investor friends exploring the edge in money and meaning. Eric Johansson, Armand Asadi, who is not here today, Steven Sorrow, and I'm Nick Urbani. Uh, Armand is in San Francisco doing Techstars things. Um, and uh, we'll see him Friday when we go up to San Francisco to uh, interview Zach, which will be fun. So I know uh, some of you guys put some science questions in the Discord for Zach. So we have that on the agenda to to go over with them. So that's that's on deck. Yeah, do it up. Um, Sad to report that I'm <coughs> sober for this episode. Yeah, why are you sober, Stephen? I don't feel so good. Oh. I know, but got to give the people what they want. Are you sure you're just not jet lagged? Our symptoms of jet lag, uh, runny nose, and <laughs> achy bones. Oh, gross. And muscles. and Point that way. Yeah. Um, all right. You, so you said you want to be here. I do want uh, an Italy recap at some point. We're going to talk a few stocks that uh, Eric's got on his radar. Talk about uh, Canada regulating podcasts, which will be fun. Talk about the bond market coming to kill us all. And then um, what do we think about having a device recording everything we do everything we say all the time. I mean, it sounds scary. It could be it's, cool. It's almost like that now, but um, we'll talk about that later. That's just your phone, right? It is kind of your phone, but maybe a little more. All right, so uh, support the podcast uh, by becoming a member. Go to streamlabs.com slash alfalfapod. Any donations over $9 go on the screen. You can donate monthly if you would like to support. Um, subscribe on all channels. Links are at alfalfapod.com. And uh, Eric, what have like, you... Uh, uh, like the stream. It's oh, yeah. free. Like the stream. It's free. Shows you like care. That. Yeah, don't let uh, Steven's magic lines beat out Alpha Alpha podcast. <laughs> Make sure to like the stream. Um, what do you got here for us today? Good old Mexican classic? Sorry? What are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what you were talking about either. <laughs> Yeah, we're drinking uh, we're drinking some nice casual Modellos. Okay, and they're going down smooth. Yeah, we've had a few before. Why do you guys yeah. buy Modelo instead of a different office beer? Bud Light or what? What would be better for the well, office not beer? Not Bud Light. <laughs> I don't know Pacifico. Mm, I don't know. Modelo tastes better. I think Modelo is like the Bud Light of Mexican beer. I think it's owned by it's by, uh, it's owned by the same company. <laughs> yeah. well, that would that would explain. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, shout out to our sponsor. Uh, Zbiotics. So go to zbiotics.com slash alpha for, for the discount code. Um, yeah, use an email address and get 15% off your order. 
So, uh, yeah, the pre-alcohol probiotic. We're going to ask Zach about this uh, in a few days, but uh, it produces an enzyme that breaks down the toxin that your body creates when you drink alcohol, acetaldehyde, and uh, creates a little magic morning. Um, oh, oh, wow. Is that your new... Uh I don't know. I'm trying to find different <laughs> ways of doing this. And so and some ad that's, headlines that's where I'm at. Could you that. write me some ad headlines? I love that. I think Zach's going to give us all kinds of new goodies okay. to go off. Um, one of the things is that it's genetically engineered. And this is something I want to ask Zach about because, you know, we're non-GMO G- is kind of a... We're GMO positive on this podcast. Yeah, non-GMO is a pretty big trend. But z is genetically engineered and it treats me quite all right. Fixes some of my problems. So I want to hear his take on the non-GMO trend and if there's other applications to genetically modified stuff that we should be looking out for and not just poo-poo it all. Um, I went through a lot of those in Italy last week. Zebotics? Oh, yeah. Yeah? How many did you use on your trip? Nine. <laughs> Damn. Wow. No what is like your Zebotics al- like blood content right now? At one point. <laughs> it sounds it? like you were just drinking too much. I was drinking too much. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. Well, that's not advised. I had a, well, I had a good time though. I mean, I felt okay. I'm, I'm sure my I got some blood work done yesterday actually for the first time. Oh, right, right after your like two bender. decades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's smart. You're 99 percent carbs. No, I, was telling the lady, I was telling the lady like, oh, this is not going to look good. She's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, did I'm curious when you use Zbotics, did it did the effectiveness wane off? Like, did you build up a tolerance over no. time? No. I woke up every morning feeling good, proceeded to drink more. All right. That's the end of the ad. Magic morning. Alpha. That was epic. All right, boys. Uh, where do you want to start off today? We're going to be pretty markets heavy. What would you say about uh, you like when dad's not around? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like when Armand's not here, it's like uh, dad left town and we're all just like having a house party. Yeah. Just opening up all the cabinets and talking macro. I'm excited. Um. Okay, where do you want to start? You want to talk with uh, one of these few stocks? No, or? let's go macro first. Okay, so um, was it last episode you and I talked about the bond markets rallying? We referenced Andy Constant and how we'd be higher for longer. Yeah, pretty prescient in hindsight. Yeah, I mean like... Uh, prescient? It was on the, on the tails of a, of a week where the bond yields rose drastically. And then the week after we did that podcast, they rose even more. So it was pretty wild. And uh, I think it was a good time discussion, obviously. And he talks about how, you know, the market is now realizing, oh, shit, rates are going to be higher for longer. And then he talks about us heading towards Recession Island. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, but I think it might be good to kind of remind ourselves, like, why is it important to talk about bonds? Because, like, for our whole cohort's investing life, I don't think we ever... I mean, what, you could probably get by looking at bonds once a year because, well, they were near zero. You didn't, you wouldn't really consider bonds being part of your portfolio for, like, a, a younger demographic, but... It should be illegal to own bonds if you're, like, under 70. Might yeah. start being illegal to not own bonds. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, good, Eric, you're kind of point. like a Captain CFA here. So, are you able to give us, like, a just a... A 101 on like when bond yields rise dramatically, like why should we pay attention to that? Well, I think we we all know that when bond yields rise, that hits our asset values. Right. Um, I think that 
the simple way to describe it is that like any asset is going to provide you cash flows, but if you can get those cash flows risk-free at a higher rate, then it makes it less appealing to get risky cash flows. Right. So when you're doing, you know, if you're doing a classic like discounted cash flow model, you have a hurdle rate in there, right? A yeah. minimum IRR target that you want part of that discounted cash flow formula. And part of that IRR, it's the risk-free rate is a, is a function of that, right? So if the 10-year yield rises, the risk-free rate goes up, the hurdle rate, the, you know, minimum return you need for an investment goes up. And so that brings down the current value of those future cash flows. Is totally. that right? Yeah. And I think uh, uh, in the stonk I want to talk about, we're going to get a chance to like apply um, this oh. knowledge. Okay. I have a, I have a bone to pick with this um, mental model. You pick weren't here. You weren't here last week, so we want to hear your thoughts on rising bond yields and all your yeah, bones. Yeah, I had a lot of bones to pick, but I was I was on a flight and many glasses of wine deep when I was listening to you, so I kind of fell asleep and forgot a lot of them. Huh. I, I had a lot of bones to pick with the history thing. I was like, this is not going to be a discussion. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Don't start. Uh, well, that well, was we'll, a good discussion. We'll put, a, we'll put a pin in that one for later. Um, yeah, everybody's been talking like ad hominem about how oh yields go up so stocks go down because discounted cash flows and i just don't like this because it oversimplifies something that really shouldn't be oversimplified and it's not like useful to oversimplify it right like it, it is true that if you hold earnings like the same and you raise like the discount rate that the value of a stock generally will drop yeah but like there's a reason why yields are going up, right? And if the reason yields are going up is also a reason that like earnings are going up, then this isn't like a super useful mental model. I.e. Right? inflation? Or what what part of that equation do you think? No, it's not both? it's not even inflation, right? So first of all, for the last year, yields have been ripping, basically, right? They've just been like up only. And I don't know if anybody noticed, but like the Nasdaq is still up like 30%, right? So everybody's sitting here panicking that yields are ripping more. Like, oh my God, yields are going up. But, but yields have been going up all year and the stock market's been ripping. So it feels like people are, are missing a part of what's happening here, right? And they're trying to use some old model to make sense of what's happening in the world right now, right? But everybody is just talking about rates right now. Like it's, it's just like a bubble. Like we're just, we're just thinking, Oh, four point eight is a big number. And that's yeah. scary. But without context for what inflation is or what GDP is, it's not a particularly useful metric. Right. And we, we did have this like paradigm we used to exist in where inflation was like close to zero and like GDP was like one or 2%. Right. And in the context of that environment, like having a 2% tenure might make sense, right? But if you move to an environment where um, like NGDP is like 6%. Talking about nominal GDP, so including yeah, G inflation. G yeah, basically GDP plus inflation, like the total amount of stuff being produced, I guess, in the country, if you want to oversimplify it. If that's 7%, well, it doesn't make any sense that you would have a 2% tenure or a 3% tenure or a 4% tenure, or for that matter, even a 4.87% tenure, which I 
was yesterday, I think, last time I looked at it. I think yeah. it went down a little bit today. Right. So I think it's important to consider that, right? Because we could be in a spot right now where rates are just ripping because like nominal GDP is like ripping. We're just like in an environment now where nominal GDP is is on a tear, right? And if you're producing more stuff in the country, that obviously means that like earnings are up, there's more goods being sold, there's more of everything happening, right? So it's kind of a question of like, what is, is the dog wagging the tail or is the tail wagging the dog? Well, right? I mean, in, inflation is in all of those things that you mentioned, earnings, GDP, and the 10-year yield. Like it's kind of like forward-looking inflation. And inflation on its own is good for earnings, right? Earnings, earnings go up. It's good for asset prices. Now, what's not good is when the Fed just kind of jacks up interest rates. That hurts asset prices. But inflation on its own, it's kind of good. The, the type of bad inflation is the supply Can, can I pick chain. a bone with that too? Because like there's this belief people have that the Fed can like wreck asset prices because they can jack rates. In reality, the Fed only has an effect on the short part of the curve as far as being able to raise it, right? And they can kind of affect the long end, but it seems like they can only affect it to the downside, like by doing stuff like QE. QE, right. Operation Twist. Like I think the Ooh, Fed Operation is twist. kind of helpless to like manipulate the, the, the tenure up in a way, right? So and I, I'm not so sure they're doing anything right now at the moment like it seems like we are basically in a like a, we're now in like this fiscal dominance era where like government spending is the thing that is driving everything and the fed like tinkering around with the three-month rate by like a quarter of a point maybe well is like irrelevant that, that's moment. what we talked about if you didn't uh, fall asleep during our episode um we talked about that like while the fed funds rate is a big deal it's actually supply supply of issuance right and initially in what q2 or q3 yellen when the debt ceiling was raised she was issuing t-bills because she saw the reverse repo facility filled up and she's like well we can tap that and do that but now they're issuing actual bonds long dated stuff because they need to so as the the deficit stays up i mean kind of plays in what you're saying like there's just going to be so much issuance and if one, there's no one to buy it because, first of all, there will always be people to buy it, but it may not be at the price they want. But if China's not going to buy it, if pensions aren't going to buy it, then there's so much supply, then the yield tends to creep up. So it's, it's supply is the, is the driver. Would you agree? Yeah, kind of. I mean, to, to, to back up like a little bit, like I, I'm not so sure there's something to like panic over here over here right now right like there used to be a very tight relationship between like nominal gdp and the 10-year yield and we had very extensive areas of like history in the stock market where the 10-year was quite high and stocks did quite well like i'm not so sure there's like much of a correlation there and it's hard to tell at the mm -hmm. moment if rates are spiking because like there's something out of control in the system or if rates are just simply normalizing to what they were in an era before they've been manipulated for the last couple of decades and if we're just returning rates to sort of their normal correlation range because the fed isn't manipulating them to the downside anymore i, I don't know to what 
degree, that is something so, that we, we, we would panic over. And, I, and if that is the case, right, if you look at the stock market, stocks are actually really low right now if you consider the value of the stocks and earnings, like, and, and you're sort of doing it on a ratio of nominal GDP. And I think if you make adjustments to like where it would be if it followed historical norms, like you get to a number that's like over 5,000 S&P, which I'm happy with because it validates my little lines I draw. <laughs> um, I bought, I bought uh, SPY calls this morning. Wow. So we talked a little bit about, but like, I feel like that 4,200 level is a good risk return. So um, I don't know, last week I thought 100% of the bond issuance that was going to come was priced in. It was clearly not because we had yeah. another week of rising rates. But like, we're right around that 200-day moving average. And so I didn't like shift cash to buy. Instead, I just said, well, why don't I just take a small portion, uh, buy some call options around this 4,200 level. If it bounces off the... 200-day moving average, we kind of digest the fact that we have higher rates and stocks continue to grow. Can I talk about so that for on. a second? Yeah. Um, so you guys know that I sell options um, and I, I like use this like option scanner uh, every day, basically. And typically on my scanner, based on my parameters, I get like 500 different results of uh, options that look like I could look into to sell. And over the last like two weeks or so... My, my scanner has come back with like four results. Okay. So I don't actually know how to interpret that other than... Is this just calls or any direction? Well, it's any direction. Um, yeah, I'm just basically selling volatility. So when I see that low premium um, being bid, I'm thinking like, well, maybe this is a good time to be buying options. Um, I think so this is like... Maybe not now, but soon, like sort of a once in a generation opportunity to to buy like long convexity to the upside, just YOLO and calls or something. So, can I ask you a question? I, I bought um, SPY calls, but I was like, why did I do that? Shouldn't I have just yeah. bought like a Magnificent Seven yeah. uh, ETF? Yeah. And bought calls on that because that's where all the run up has been. Yeah, there's like a uh, 493 stocks that are dragging you down. Right. Yeah. So like. <laughs> I bought it and I was like, why did I do that? And then I looked up those seven tech stocks and I was like, oh, there there's an ETF for this. ETF? Yeah, oh, there is. That's, that's probably it. Sorry, I cut you off, but yeah. No, I mean, I, I was thinking about whether that is a good idea. Like sometimes there's, you, you buy the leaders and then the laggards end up kind of mean reverting on All you. All of a sudden the bank dumb. stocks just start rising up again. You're yeah, like, oh, I don't know fuck. if the bank stocks are going to rise again, but I, I, I could see like some other sectors for, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at crypto, like Bitcoin volatility is still insanely low by historical standards, right? I know we've talked on this program a little bit about like Bitcoin miners. I think Bitcoin miners are like the ultimate sort of TradFi YOLO play if this thing really goes off the rails, right? Because I think you guys agree with me when I say like the end game here is that ultimately we're going to lose control of the curve it's going to go too high on the long end like 10-year 30-year rates are going to go too high yeah i want to ask you government's how, how not how going to be going. able to finance that debt at a particular point and then ultimately there's going to be nothing else to do other than to have the fed buy all of the bonds right and if we get to that you know actual sovereign debt crisis level 
that's just going to be Moontown for stuff like Bitcoin and and gold. It's all but like, playing out, Smithers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, if you have like some you know six sigma event and Bitcoin goes to like 200k very quickly, like mining stocks are just going to. They're like insanely terrible when the price is like at a particular level, but then once they get into a certain oh, yeah. like stratosphere, it's like, holy god, they 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 go up. By one of the worst companies ever, like companies to Definitely like not a long to term run. Investment, like though. what a what a worst possible company to to actually like as an entrepreneur oh, feels like run to run a mining business. a mining company. Oh, you don't like negative operating problems? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and it's like, oh wow, we just amortize all this capital expenditures on our mining equipment. A year and a half later, oh, wait, you have to redo we that over. We have to over. replace all of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I think if you're not, like, a huge degenerate, though, I, I still think, like, I don't know. I, I feel like 5,000-plus S&P calls are just so badly mispriced right now. And I'm, like, debating whether I should have more. Because I, 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 I look at charts, and they, they do look like they want to go lower in the in the near term. They, they, they really do. Um on the sorry, other you're hand, talking about S and P 500 yeah, or stocks? Okay, stocks. Nasdaq, S and P. On the other hand, like I don't know, sentiment is like pretty freaking bearish right now, especially in equity land. But what is positioning? Is positioning bearish? Because that's all it really matters. Is like sentiment's one. <sighs> I thing. don't look at that. I know like the crowded market report guy puts out. Uh, I forgot his name. Puts out like interesting data on position between like retail and like commercial and large speculators and he has some kind of um formula it's a very basic algorithm for when you're on the right or wrong side of the boat on the basis of that um jason some i don't know but like you, you look him up on uh twitter if you want to do that i think it's kind of interesting but it's not something i use personally uh in the way that i invest um but yeah like i wonder if i'm getting a little too greedy with entries at the moment just take it Hold it for three months at the minimum. Yeah, like I'm gonna probably buy January. Yeah, probably just stagger quarter. I'll probably do like January, uh, Q1, Q2, and then Q4. I think probably layer a bunch of those. But like I, I, I know it sounds stupid, but I, I still think like you know, 5,500 is like in the cards. But like 5,000 to me, I feel like is still like a good target i'm not saying it's greater than 50 percent will go there but like for the the risk reward on the bet it seems so i, I do think good. that like these higher yields are encapsulating everyone's attention and then i mean i think there's a jobs report coming out on friday i think as some more data comes out like oh wait uh gdp still good jobs still good inflation eh, under control maybe staying flat so we're fine, actually. Like, we're still in that Goldilocks zone of, like, positive growth, kind of, like, flattening inflation, not maybe some disinflation. And, you know, a little Santa Claus rally would be fun to take part of. Do, I, do you see recession anywhere? Like, I yes. don't see recession. Like, what do you, where, do you, where do you see, like, recession? Oh, well, you mean, like, in the data now? None. I, I see nothing in the data. And then anecdotally, I just travel... <laughs> my girlfriend's probably so annoyed with me because like every every time we went anywhere i was like 
Yeah, nice recession. Nice recession. Like airport, three-hour line. I'm like, nice recession. She's hotel. like, yes, Stephen, I understand. There's no recession. <laughs> Not a single hotel in the entire town of Positano under like $1,400 a night. Like, recession. They're walking through town like I can't even move. There's a like, crowd picking me up off the ground. I'm like, oh, Amber, you're nice, a patient soul. Nice recession. <laughs> nice recession. Yeah. Like, Sounds just, like a great vacation. Any, any, any year now, right? Like, so I, I, I think like the... I feel like the treasury market is like a 10 to one favorite to implode before like recession <clears throat> happens at this point, you know? So I, I just, I just don't see it. And I don't know, we talked about this months ago, right? I brought to you guys the crazy idea that like hiking rates is actually stimulative and quite inflationary. Um, and I feel like the data is like kind of bearing out on that, right? Like, Rates keep going higher. Stocks keep going higher. Um, basically, people are in the situation where they're all locked in like a 2.5% mortgage. They're, they're borrowing long, and then they're lending short to the government at like 55 6% soon, right? So they're but basically that's, like That's like a tale of two cities, right? Because, I mean, like, yes, if you have capital... Sure, yes. the, the You're entire, getting like a the entire world of asset classes has been exclusively ruled by people who have capital for the last like four decades, right? We're not talking about like are people going to live a good life over the next five years? The answer to that for most people, sadly, is probably no. We're just trying to figure out like if we buy stocks and crypto, will they go up? And like that's kind of a different question. Not not to sound I mean callous, um, but like. Yeah, like people who have money are making almost a like full-time stock, salary yeah, like off stocks. Their haven't interest. been up only because like the bottom twenty-five percent of like American society has been like buying the stock market for the last twenty years. You know, yeah, quite callous. Like a, no, I, yeah, I know it is. It is but it's it's just kind of like a harsh, <laughs> sad reality. Um, so yeah, the higher rates go, the more the deficit spending grows. You know, we're basically dumping close to like one and a half trillion or something in the economy a year mm. just from interest payments now but does that eventually does that eventually matter because like that was nick's point last week that like that deficit eventually it's a question matters. of tax receipts right like so a huge it, it, chunk of the government funding via tax receipts comes from the stock market right so if rates are six percent, but the stock market is ripping, you know, if the S and P's at six thousand and rates are at six and a half percent, it doesn't seem like it matters. Actually, like it seems like you can fund. Wait, are you saying that like asset prices have more to do with tax receipts than than incomes and jobs? Yeah, like okay. I, I, think, I, I like, actually don't know. I'm just asking, like, if that's. I think fact. Luke Groman put out some data on this a while ago. It was like sixty percent of the. Capital gains or something like that. Like tax receipts are from like it, yeah, like the it, like tax receipts have have plummeted in like the last couple of months just on the basis of what's like. This is not sustainable. Like if the stock market goes down and like rates stay like that, like it's it's like over, right? But if if the if S and P goes back above five thousand six, and like housing market doesn't crash, and again like people are looking at thirty year and like oh eight percent, such a big number. Right. Yeah, everything's gonna crash because it's a big number. God, if that's true, how long until they uh, do away with um, like capital gains tax treatment like being like fiscal a fiscal dominance? You're talking about like like because you know you only pay like twenty percent cap gains tax, except like, in California, sir. May yeah, I remind but like you? Uh, you know, how long until they just abolish that? And they're like, well, this is 
our entire yeah, tax revenue I don't base. think they're stupid enough to do that because I think some very basic math would show that it would cause like an immense capital flight that would reduce like overall tax revenue. And like, countries like France have tried this stupidity. And I, I think France like r just rolled it back very quickly um, when they tried this. So I, I don't, I don't know. It's it's like this weird dynamic going on right now where they're like we got the Fed trying to control inflation by doing things that I think boost inflation, while at the same time everybody in government, like all the Larry Summers of the world, are basically like openly talking about how the only way out for the government is to run inflation hot, juice asset f prices, and they do some form of like um, financial repression to sort of inflate the debt away yeah. over like a five to twenty year period. Right. And they were doing that before they started doing the whole jacking rates up. And like, so, and, and I feel like 20 years from now, when we look back at this, we're going to be like, wow, that was so dumb. They had everything was actually going so well. And then they jacked up the rates and they thought they were like fighting, but they actually just blew up. The, they actually made inflation worse and blew up the. The, can the I economy. can I talk about a sector economy that's uh, close to my heart that's uh, pretty interest rate sensitive? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, you saw my post in the mailbox money uh, thread in the Discord, but man, uh, for multifamily, you know, deals are coming across at like, they start off at like four and a half cash on cash. Maybe they average out like six and a half over like seven years. The total return may be like 14, 15%. But fuck, man, I wonder if these general partners coming with these deals are actually going to be able to raise the capital, the equity they need to do these deals. And I don't think they are because a lot of these guys are still pricing this asset class at cap rates that like that assume that like people have an appetite for an illiquid asset that's you know while while it's maybe more conservative the illiquidity risk is is real and they think that like people are going to be okay with 4 to 5% cash on cash deals like I don't think so and so as that happens, and if rates stay higher and even keep going up from here, man, that asset class is going to get obliterated. I mean, and who, I'm who, who here for it. Who still has all yeah. of their brain and is doing that kind of a deal? I mean, there's, there's less deals coming across. One, because uh, these general partners cannot find the debt to do it, right? So their regional bank isn't saying, like, hey, pencils down. Like, we actually laid off a bunch of our underwriters for these deals. So, like, we're not even interested in these. Uh, go call the other bank. So that's one. Uh, but then, yeah, they might find that they, like, hey, we'll just go to our, our old investor list that we always go to, can raise $30 million on and sending out an email and a deck, and that doesn't happen. So I'm excited for that because I feel like there's still, like, a pretty far bid-ask spread on these valuations, these multifamily deals, and the people who still have cash on the sidelines and have access to debt are going to be there to pick up, pick up the pieces. And it may not be for another 12 months, but man, those are going to be some generationally good, like assets to pick up, uh, in the long run. So I think it still makes sense to be patient. I know we talked about last week about a deal that was pretty decent, but, uh, overall I think patience is going to win. And I'm also thinking about like, so in one of these deals, there's so many different types of professions, right? There's the actual sponsor. There's the property manager who's hoping to get the deal. There's the trust guy, uh, the guy who handles the, or sorry, the title company. There's the, the mortgage broker. I mean, like there's so many little professions 
and the transaction volume has just absolutely gotten crushed. So there is a portion of this economy that is not seeing revenue come in. I mean, most of those professions, you kind of eat what you kill. So I'm um, I'm just curious, like how if that's going to trickle out. I don't I don't think it will, but like how bloody can it get? Like you've been through a market cycle before, right? Yeah. Like like how bad does it get? I mean, yeah, you see, like the deal we talked about last week was a distressed seller who couldn't find debt to refinance a property. And they're like, we're going to be underwater on this thing. Like, let's just sell this thing off. But that's at <clears throat> a, a market price above where I think we're going to settle at. So, um, yeah, and like, I don't know, the last financial crisis was very real estate centric. So it's probably not a good... It's not a good proxy. No, not a good proxy. Um, Anyway, I just want to make a comment on that because, like, uh, there's going to be a lot of blood in that area of the world. And I know these general partners, especially the newer ones, are probably sweating. And and in that game, does it depend on how high rates ultimately land at? Because right now we're at 4.8%. And is that, like, that's okay, but yeah. what if we go to 55 What so if we go to 65 Edmund like, asked a good question in, the, in that mailbox money. He's like, so what was the rate? It was SOFR plus 3.2%. So SOFR is based on really the Fed funds rate. But on the other side, that's the guys doing the deal. But the people who are putting in the equity, their benchmark is like, well, what can I get on the 10-year or the two-year or the one-year? Like, what's my money market fund rating at? And like, honestly, like if I'm getting 5.5%, do I really want to take on the illiquidity risk for um, something for like that starts off at four and a half percent. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So terrible. anyway, let's, let's talk about, um, let's keep on this topic and let's talk about how this resolves. Like, well, shit. Cause like we've talked about one thing. I think we talked about it over cigars at Churchill, not on the podcast, but like, like you mentioned, the Fed controls the short rates, right? That's easy, Fed funds rate. But they don't necessarily control the 10-year and the 30-year, which have in particular gone up a lot in the last four weeks. But they they are doing, quote-unquote, QT, where they're letting bonds roll off. They're not, um, you know, selling bonds. But could they do some kind of yield cur curve control where they're letting the shorter-term shit roll off and then re-upping on the 10 year and 30 year to kind of, I don't know, play with the levels or is it I mean, not obviously, that much? Obviously they can do that. They've done it in the past, you know? Yeah. So, but I don't know if it's like enough of a lever to pull. Cuppy on Twitter basically said the only thing they're gonna be able to do is just panic Jack the short end, like 300 basis points. Wait, what do you mean? Like race? Yeah. What, wait, what would that do? Well, I presume that like if like the tenure starts getting out of hand and it starts climbing to seven, seven and a half, eight, <laughs> and they're like losing control, if you're just like fuck it, ten percent on the three month, people may, may, might be like, all right, and then take that. Hold on, just <laughs> under this under this scenario, you you're still bullish stonks because that would no, just, I don't think they're <laughs> going to do that. I think that's the thing. He's saying that's the only thing they're going to be able to do that. But would I don't understand work. that because wouldn't that create demand for the short the shorter term stuff when that. Yeah, when they so need you to sell, sell your ten years and go go long the, the one year the three month yeah. in that case. Look, man, I'm just telling you what he said. All right, go cool. over my head. <laughs> cool. I haven't I haven't thought this through. So I saw like a Substack that um, said there's two reasons the Fed would do QE again, right, and try to keep the long end of the curve down. Economy goes in a shitter, 
and they're like, okay, we need to stimulate some growth. The yeah, other reason, I don't care about that. probably the more likely reason, is the federal government just cannot pay its debt. I forget the numbers. This is always o- overly exaggerated, and I don't think we're part of that crew that's overly exaggerating what the effective interest payment that the federal government has to pay. But like, there's a good chunk of it, a third of it, that's like coming due in the next, uh, I don't know, year or two that would have to be refinanced at higher rates. The question is, does Powell bail out the federal government? Or he is he raising rates being like, I'm trying to make it harder so you guys don't run fucking deficits, you idiot. Like, stop spending. Like, I'm trying to purposely make it harder. And every time he gets questioned about it on Capitol Hill, he's like, we don't comment on fiscal policy. Like, that's up to your elected officials. Why, so anyway. does, why does he make it harder, though? Like, isn't a lot of it... I don't know if that's his intention. A lot of the funding on like the I don't I don't know this. I don't know if that's his intention, but obviously by increasing interest rates and keeping them higher for longer, and what he's saying on the curve, they're issuing the debt, I guess. Yeah. Um, But those are two reasons he could do it. So which is it? Because it eventually happens. He's not bailing out the economy. If there's like the only thing they're bailing out is like a is like (laughs) every single bailout has basically been they've lost control over like the treasury market. Right, that was COVID. That was twenty eighteen or twenty twenty nineteen, rather. Um, that was like guilts last fall. That was what they're kind of they're afraid of, like you know, a, a debt crisis with Silicon Valley. That's that's what they care about, like the functioning of the treasury market. So anything short of that, I just I don't I don't think they care. Um, so it's just sort of a question of like, is there going to be some sort of debt spiral? Because it can spiral. I mean, I, I know uh, I know. Luke Grumman has talked about how like hedge funds are very, 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 very long, like TLT and long, long duration. Wait, what? Emoji. Right now, right? what? So he's like, when this trade, when they have to start unwinding this trade, and it looks like they do have to start unwinding this trade because they're all down very bad right now. Um, that's going to create, you know, selling pressure, which is going to drive rates up higher. Oh, fuck. Right? I thought it was the opposite. You know, I see like Bill Ackman's going on his little uh, speech tour saying that he's short. Right, I think TLT he's the anomaly. He's like, he's a contrarian on that. Like, a, I don't know who on earth would want to buy like long duration treasury. Well, I think everybody's just in this mindset that like, oh, a recession is coming. And because there's a recession coming, the yield curve is uninverting. Oh, that means that we buy we buy TLT because that's what's always happened. Like, oh, the ISM went down this level. The yield curve's here. This is a 100% hit rate of oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like so the, the bullish so steepener bu- versus the bearish steepener. Oh, what, what's that steepener, scene in Fast yeah. and the Furious where uh, the guy hits a NOS and the, the Asian guy who beats it goes, too soon, Junior. And then he hits a NOS and goes and wins it. I think that's the that's the meme for, for those guys who went long bonds too uh, soon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't get to this point where, like, the government can't really cover the debt service based on um you know the economist like hyman was his name hyman minsky you familiar mm-hmm. with him no i'm not i i've heard the name i just he had these sort of three states like a corporation or government could sort of be in um hedged capital speculative capital ponzi capital and in the hedge state you have enough cash flows to service both the interest on your debt and the principal and then you go into the speculative state and your cash flows are enough to cover the the interest 
but not the principal. And then the final stage is the, the Ponzi state. And that's at the point where your cash flows can't even cover the interest. So you have to issue more debt to cover the existing, right? And this, this is sort of when you start hitting the debt spiral, because once, once the market is like, oh, they have to issue more debt to service their existing debt, the rate goes up, which means you have to issue more yeah. debt at a higher rate to cover that, which well, means the And you're rate applying goes that up. to the U.S. government. Yeah. But this is, this is the first time, I think we mentioned this last week, this is the first time I've seen where like actually issuing more debt affects the rates. Like we're issuing a significant amount of debt and this is the first time like people are like, man, fuck that, not buying it. Yeah, and who's going to buy this fucking paper? That's <laughs> the big question. We're going to be forced to buy it. They're going to shove it down your throat. Yeah, I mean, the Fed's going to buy it eventually. The but question yeah. is like in the short run, are, are stocks just going to go up and will the debt be serviceable? And then in which case... There is no problem in the short run, and stocks go higher, and rates go higher, and people continue to be, like, befuddled, I guess. Have you, have you guys ever looked at an individual bond auction? No. I, nobody's no. ever done that. I did, it, I did it last week. I was like, how do these <laughs> things fucking work? And what you find Where did is, you go to even watch I that? went to Treasury Direct and, like, okay. looked at the results of the most recent auction. So it's an on-the-run, meaning a newly-issued Treasury Yeah, bond. and, like, there's, like, some terminology we don't need to go into because I half understand them but like the point i saw was that if they're issuing you know 100 billion there's 200 billion of bids and so you never see an auction where there's like they actually can't issue and there's certain stuff where they'll take it at the price it's like guaranteed like i'll, I'll take this um and there's other stuff where it's more auction based but there's always bids there's always more well, like where did you see one. like when you watched it what do the bids look like? Because that's important. One. That's two. important. There was, there was, I don't twice. even, I don't mean like the volume of bids. I mean, like, at, at what level were they willing to accept? Right. So that's the part I didn't understand because, like, I'd imagine an auction based environment, you could see twice the amount of demand, but like, that doesn't necessarily mean that the US government is going to get it at the price that they want. Um, man, I've been, so I think I've told you guys before, like, my dad had CNBC on, like, as a kid, just, it was either Sports Center or CNBC. Since I can remember, fucking Rick Santelli in the, you know, yeah. has been on TV given the bond market grades. Ricky boy. Yeah, he's he's a he's an epic. He used to be an old school bond trader. But anyway, he gives grades and grades have not been good recently. Well, he was on he was on CNBC yesterday uh -huh. <laughs> calling for um thirteen percent on the tenure. Holy shit. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> I don't think Wow, that's he said that sustainable. Yeah. yeah. Uh he said that within the next seven to ten years or so. Jamie Dimon saying 7% soon. Rates are going to... I mean, they're definitely... Mm -hmm. I don't want to say definitely, but, like, they're definitely going above six. Six, 6. Mm -hmm. 6.2 or so looks pretty... Should we be shorting juicy? bonds still? Because, like, that seems like a pretty fucking good return. So I actually thought about if I should just put on some short tenure play, to be honest, because it, it does feel very obvious right now, which makes me feel sketchy obviously that's but. why like i felt like everybody's so bearish on this that like everyone was offside short on tlt but you're saying it's the opposite no people are like the hedge fund positioning from what i'm understanding is quite long too soon quite junior. long too and soon and the unwinding of that trade is going to potentially be nasty and give us the 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 bear steepener not off not often what if we just end up with a yield curve thing. that's just flat like, 
you see five and a half to six percent on these like three month, one year, two year yields, and then you also see like six percent on like the ten year, thirty year. Like, I I don't know what that means when the yield curve is flat, but that seems kind of. So, uh, Rectum in the chat just yep. said, "Am I the only one who would just hold six percent to maturity?" And um, I think this leads into what I want to talk about a okay. little bit, which is. Um, Something I'm looking at, you know, in my day-to-day life is like, I I think Stephen, you brought up some good nuance with like uh, the risk-free rate or the ten-year. It's like it can have a different impact on stonks than it has on bonds because bonds they don't participate in like this uh, earnings growth or anything. When I'm looking at bonds, and Nick, to your question, like, is now a good time to short bonds? I think it matters what the price of the bonds are, right? Right now, relative to par, or you're just saying based on the yield? I mean, yeah, I mean, relative to par, essentially, it's like at what point are you entering a trade? Because if it's already priced in, then that's not a good trade. And one thing I've been looking at is um, bond and bond like securities that can offer me uh, an income stream that I would actually accept because, you know, the shit is like it's all in the tank. You know, yeah. and one thing I've been looking at is Verizon. Okay. VZ. It's like a. You're gonna buy corporate bonds? No. The no, the he equity. Wants the stonk. You want the stonk? Okay, but the dividend. But the equity trades like a bond. You know, right. because they, it's an old mature business. It it basically has like a stable stream of cash flows, and it pays you a dividend, which is kind of like a coupon. They take everyone's uh, cell phone bill. They keep some. They dis- distribute the rest to shareholders. Yeah, and I think what matters. What I'm trying to say is that the price that you enter matters because right now that equity, that stonk, VZ, ticker symbol, is paying an 8.5% dividend yield, which is, which is a nice return that I'm like intrigued by, you know, because I'm already, I'm, I'm in treasury bills earning 5.5%. I was like, well, can I get 8.5%? And, you know, knowing Verizon, we all know, it's like, this is like a, a utility, basically. Everyone pays their, their cell phone bill. Right. So that's not going anywhere. Are they considered a dividend king or a dividend aristocrat? What is that like? Companies for the last ten or twenty-five years that have consistently increased their dividend are they in that crew? Um, they're kind of like an aristocrat in that they have done it for sixteen years, but not twenty-five years okay. to to get that moniker. Um, but I think sixteen years of dividend increases with no cuts is compelling. Like I, I feel like I have confidence in them continuing to increase their cash flows. Uh, like their free cash flow yield is like nine percent. It like supports continuing increasing the dividend and paying off their debt. So that's something I'm I'm um, interested in. Yeah, you, you know, if you're a CEO of Verizon or a new CEO of Verizon, you don't want to be the fucking guy who broke the 16 year streak of consistently increasing the dividend. Like you'll probably do whatever you need to, but I forget the metric. You're probably more familiar with it. There's a metric of like percentage of profit distributed yeah the dividend payout ratio dividend payout ratio do you know what it is on verizon i don't know what theirs is off uh, the top of my head i could probably reverse engineer because i know their earnings and stuff but um healthy super healthy okay so they got room they have so much room to continue supporting this and i think why i like this particular one is because it's so easy it's so easy to value like um when you use like fundamentals um those things? Yeah, those things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
like I can kind of look at it. What is fundamentals in in like such simple terms? Because like where where valuation mm-hmm. models go wrong is typically on like the forecast of of future earnings, like your picture of the of the future. And with Verizon, it's like pretty clear. Um, so they have they have a fuckload of debt, which is which is another problem, like a hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of debt. Holy shit! But um, 75% of it's locked in, fixed rate, blended rate of 3.2% they're paying. So that's pretty solid. Yep. And I guess what I'm, what, how I'm looking at this company is, is simple. Like, you're paying me 8.5% today. I'll happily collect that dividend. But uh, it's trading at $30 a share or so. It was at $60 a share in 2021. So I feel like that price is starting to become compelling. And... That's like why I was mentioning like buying a bond at a, at a certain yeah, price matters. There's no maturity date, right? So there's no, there's it's no like, it's um, a long duration. There's no guarantee that like as the maturity date gets closer, you get back to thirty dollars. Like it could, it could go, go like I look at it as as an asset that's cheap. Cheap can always get cheaper. Yeah, of course. And um, if you look at the chart, Stephen uh, posted one in our Discord. The stock is down only, <laughs> literally down only. Doesn't look good. No. It is no. coming up into some strong, like, multi-decade demand, though. So, so at, at the level it's at now, it's right around where it traded in 2009, right after the global financial crisis. So that's cheap. <sighs> that's cheap. Like, one thing I look at is, like, all right, if this trades like a bond, yeah. which, which it does, and it's not a good time to own bonds, clearly, like, that doesn't sound very attractive at all. But I think the price is compelling enough where it's like, imagine you were going to like, maybe you guys don't trade bonds, but like, imagine you're going to get like a, an A-rated bond that's trading at 60 cents to par, it, like with a 8.5% yield that you're comfortable with, and they increase the coupon every year. Like, that's nice. That's the part pretty of the, good. where the coupon increases is amazing. Yeah. 16 straight years, no cuts. So I think like as I as I look at Verizon, I I know that like look, I'm calculating intrinsic value that's different than what the market price is on any given day. Market price is kind of like a pendulum and moves uh, back and forth. It swings too high at sometimes and too low at other times. I feel like pendulum is still probably swinging to the downside. Right. But I also feel like this is a level where this is compelling and like. I liken it to kind of like your mailbox money deals where mm-hmm. if you can get eight and a half percent with a with an increasing payout, yep, that's cool. And you know, according to my like I just plugged into like the simplest valuation framework like CAPM or uh, you know, discounting the dividends. Yeah, where does it sit? Um, using the risk free rate that exists today, the intrinsic value is fifty dollars <laughs> a share. It's currently trading at thirty. When I like what you normally do on a valuation model is you like you solve for share price. Right. But when you enter the share price at, you know, thirty dollars like it is today, then you can solve for another variable. I was solving for uh, risk free rate. What it's come out to. So at thirty dollars a share, it's implying a nine percent uh, risk free rate. I like that. So I feel like there's um there's like some room there's a buffer there. What do so they call that? A margin. The market's telling you that earnings are not going to be good in the future basically that's what it's guessing but the earnings on this fucking utility are so stable like that's my point you're going to pay your cell phone bill 
the, uh, it's also trading at a six PE. So in like within six years, you earn back your entire market <laughs> cap um, just in earnings. It's at a six? Six PE. So like there, there's like a utilities ETF, which I would compare it to because this is basically like a, a utility. And the utility ETF is trading at 17 times PE. That's high. That's probably going to come down. But it's but at six, you're already priced in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, whenever you see these like high dividend stocks, I always get a little wary a when trap. it's like nine percent. It's a trap, right? Because like, the company's Tarped. fucking failing, Same. right? You're just like, oh, well. yeah, D five vibes, you know? Yeah, exactly. Ooh, four thousand percent APY. I think you- <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel the exact same way, and I've been in this game long enough to know that like a nine percent dividend yield doesn't last. And there's only two ways how that normalizes. One is you cut the dividend, and the other is the share price rises to normalize the dividend, the yield. In this case, it sounds like there's a good risk return on the share price going up. Well, to I normalize got 16 years of dividend increases with no cuts to inform me that it's probably in the dividend not payout ratio being healthy. Yeah. Okay. So I'm coming along. I'm coming along for this ride. This is a noob question, but like the dividend is set in the statistics like so they pay like some percentage and then that's just backed out from the stock price right like verizon's not like we're paying eight and a half percent no right now they're they paid 67 cents in the last quarter but that goes higher you know as they increase the dividend gotcha edmund said that uh Stanley Black and Decker has been paying a dividend since 1876 (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that factoid that was Man, you definitely don't want to break that streak. Imagine your <laughs> imagine your yield on cost if you bought it in 1876. Holy shit. Yeah. You get like 100% dividend yield? Yeah, above. <laughs> above. Love that. Um, you make any moves this week? Just those Doing calls. Um, Nothing exciting? No, I don't think anything else exciting except like I saw some, some uh, general partner shareholder letters like update on the industry and i was like oh these guys are fucking sweating this is great um love that so let's talk about one more stock maybe oh yeah you have another stock yeah he's got another stock in his pocket my last stock was all about fundamentals this one's all about speculation okay Uh, hit me so i'm looking at the sphere in las vegas okay you guys, uh, you've seen this thing, right? Oh, yeah. It's I've seen pictures. All over Twitter. Yeah. So I feel like this thing has gone like semi-viral, but I don't think it's reached the point of virality because we're not seeing our friends there on their Instagram. There's only been one concert, right? It's just the U2 concert that's going on right now. No, that's not. They, they have that going on, but then they also have this other show that's called Postcard from Planet Earth. And uh, it's kind of like a David Attenborough documentary. Love his voice. But it's like... I don't think he's even in it, but it's like it's like planet Earth, but it's like filmed specifically for this dome, and it I think it's like 16K HD Wait, or something. So, should, should we give like just a quick overview on what the sphere is for yeah, people who are about living the, on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, for people who don't know what the sphere <laughs> is. The sphere is a brand new uh, entertainment venue in Las Vegas. It's um, it's like 20,000 seats. It's shaped like a ball, like a sphere, and uh, on the inside is like a stage but you know there's like this this huge dome around you that has um led lights i don't even know how many but it's like from floor like probably like 260 degrees or something like yeah like you you like stretch your neck back and still see a screen because this thing is uh is crazy and and they they have purported to say that it's like 
a full sensory experience because like I think um, people who know entertainment venues have said that like uh, a dome is like really bad for audio. So they've, in, they've like incorporated audio into every chair. Oh shit. And then they, they like use uh, specific scents in the, in the building to like make this thing like a full experience. I'm glad I asked you this question because I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just saw a big dome with funny advertising on it. So, like, I don't care so much about U2. I couldn't care less about U2. But I actually Nobody want... Nobody cares about U2. I want to go see this freaking Planet Earth. When they just Earth. all gave us their song and we we're oh, all like, nobody, God, wa- oh, what about the, nobody wants this. What about the best spam of all time when Apple just airdrops you fucking U2 songs on your phone? God, it, it played for me today. I'm, like, so mad it's about it. It still accidentally <laughs> played... So, <laughs> that song and for some reason I, I still have like uh, I'm Yours by Jason Mraz like, like the only songs on my phone are the mm, YouTube album you, brother. and that one I song. actually so like that that's, I a, that's a happy song it. I like that song that is a happy song that one doesn't bother me but when I get the YouTube one queued up for some reason I'm like ah! yeah same <laughs> same so uh, talk about the outside okay so the the exterior of the building is all uh, LED lights as well they call it the exosphere okay and um it was leaked. Like they haven't reported earnings or anything. There's no fundamentals on this, but it was leaked that they're asking um, people who want to advertise on the building 450k per day to advertise on the Exosphere, and oh. you can run multiple ads per day. Uh, 650k a week, though. 650k a week, but you can do multiple. Wow, yeah. that's a. I that's quite my, the pricing plan. Huh? I was talking about my that's like my, mo- that's like movie popcorn. Stuff. My <laughs> business partner and he got it immediately. He's like, "Well, the fucking creative costs are astronomical to have them do the creative for your like sphere ad that will only be used there. Like, so they want you to buy the week because so they can amortize the like creative costs across the whole week. Um, so their your your uh, beloved Formula One is hosting their Grand Prix. Oh, the in race November. it goes right around. The sphere, like the the racetrack does, but they will not be showing the race on there because Formula One is being pretty stringent on giving away free view of the uh, of the actual race. So they kiboshed the live stream, but I think they're doing quite a bit of advertising. Oh yeah, and there's like events on the interior. Yep. Like, I don't know the fundamentals of this thing, but what I know is that wait, who owns this thing? uh, It's MGM. Oh. Or sorry, it's not. It's Madison Square Garden. Oh, MSG. MSG. Oh. But they spun it off into its own stock. So it's. It, they did. Yeah, it's ticker symbol SPHR. Wait, the Sphere has a stock. Yes. Oh, this is what I need. Yes. <laughs> so, like, part of me thinking, like, these fundamentals, whatever, like, majority of me is thinking this has like a virality coefficient. Where like oh this sounds like this what enterprise like value are we trading at? Do you know off the top of your head? I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah, it's like two point five billion. Oh, it's trading at replacement cost. It's trading at that's what it costs. It to costs build, right? two point three billion. So I'm saying like this thing could go viral. Like anything that like consumers love has a uh, propensity to go viral. This thing could go just like meme. So you had an argument in the Discord. You said you know when you go to Egypt, you go to the pyramids. When you go to Paris, you go to the Eiffel Tower. Like this could be the thing for Vegas. It's, it's like when yeah, you go to Vegas. It's a brand new thing. I think people are going to love it. And um, I was reading through their docs. They have a... Uh, by the way, shitty deck, by the way. Yeah, the deck was shitty. Stupid. looking deck. That's the deck great, was stupid. Did you, did you see that Twitter account? It's like something... So it's like a... Pitch deck. Pitch decks. Decks. Yeah, it's all I did Twitter account with pitch decks. It's pretty good. There's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff on there. So um, what, what I don't think is like widely known is that they have submitted but not been approved for... Um, the real estate for a second sphere. What? Where? Where? London. 
No. Really? London. But what I'm imagining is this Las Vegas is probably the best destination for this thing to happen, but it's going to be a test case. And if they, you know, see profitability here, they're going to plot more spheres. Like Dubai seems pretty interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, you name the city and... In, in Vegas, there's a lot of competition for what to do with your time there. Like, I, I agree with you. It, it could be like a little cultural thing. But if there's multiple of them, it obviously diminishes as like cultural value because like I can go see it on my continent. I don't have to travel to Vegas to see it. Um, you guys follow, you guys seen this um, Twitter handle? It's been pretty popular late called Culture Critic, I think. Oh, I love I like that guy. Critic. Yeah, yeah. And so he's basically saying like, look at these things we used to build like hundreds of years ago, 100 years ago how culturally significant. They were just beautiful pieces of art in buildings. And then he like, you know, flash pans to uh, the buildings we build now, which is these like square Legos, uh, skyscrapers that have no, they don't create any uh, feelings inside you when you well, see especially them. Especially what we had that period in like the 70s or 80s where just, they just built Boxes. Just concrete trash, basically. It was just... Humanity so he's, he's arguing that we don't do that anymore, but the sphere is like a, kind of a counter to that. Like it's it's new and different. It might just be advertising is what makes it. Well, I think it different. is like the world's best billboard as well as like people are going to pay astronomical. Are there like, any? What are people paying to go see fucking Taylor Swift like <laughs> anywhere? You know, like I think people are going to pay money to go sit in this sphere because it's like a special thing. So uh, obviously the sphere stock includes all revenue from the sphere it's not just the advertising it's all the concerts right right by the way taylor would never play the sphere she needs at like a fifty thousand person oh, yeah, venue yeah. she's yeah. paying like how a many twenty thousand twenty thousand it's not enough for taylor it's not enough so these uh the postcard for planet earth i was like looking at at ticket sales mm -hmm. they're going anywhere between a hundred dollars and four hundred dollars for a ticket okay and i think uh you two Tickets are like six hundred bucks. So 600 we had two people in the office bucks. buy. Look at some. One's actually one's leaving going today. right now. Right yeah. now, it's going Did to Vegas. Too? Yeah, right Ooh. now. Uh, new 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 employee just left. Man, six hundred dollars to. No, he actually got a, got a sweet deal for two hundred bucks. Oh, okay. My business partner was looking at it. Said the price were five hundred bucks. So let's call it three hundred. Yeah. They're making like I don't know, a little over five million. So you get the you per get the, show. You get the advertising. You get the the inside the sphere i feel like but your your basis on buying the stock is you think that the 30 million or so a year they make from the sphere ad revenue is too low and that the demand for this is going to moon i think the demand for this is going to be astronomical because like the the concerts itself like are people just going to want to go there or, or you think people are going to want to go to the sphere to see a show Everybody's going to want to play at the Sphere just because the advertising part of it becomes so iconic. I don't know. So the the shows, like, what do they rip down? On? Like, a million dollars? Like, 20% as a venue? I don't. I don't have no clue. But, like, I don't know. So they rip down a million dollars a day if they're yeah. fully booked. There's no, there's no fundamentals on those. I have no idea either. Yeah. But I'm actually more thinking about, like, just the mimetic value of, like, owning the Sphere. I feel like that, is, that has real power. I, I love the ticker symbol, too. <laughs> I agree. So I mean, I, I, I think this is one of my favorite plays that we've put on the show actually so what i did so far <laughs> like it's trading at like 40 dollars a share which is uh right above Does what it, it cost earnings? to build no the, well the sphere opened in september so its first earnings will be in november so there's literally no they're gonna be like we're broke so it's just trading at replacement cost yeah slightly above that and and my thought is like 
I thought it would go, go mimetic already, you know, like this, it seems like we're not late and this is like pretty rare, you know? Yeah. Like, all right. I like it. Yeah. It's a boring market right now. We need to all YOLO uh, sphere calls. Well, together. will my NFTs show up on the sphere? At so some the point? sphere calls are actually pretty expensive. Um, I was thinking, so I haven't bought any, but I did sell puts at 35. It's at 40. So the market kind of believes you then. Market kind of believes me, but I think, you know, they only offer um, calls out to like 60 bucks or like, you know, it's at 40. They only offer out to 60. Maybe this thing goes fucking crazy. Steven, you want to go halvesies on a buy rate? We'll put both our punks on there. You think it'd be good ROI, ad buy? I feel like somebody's good, like... in a crypto bull market, there'd be all sorts of dumb be shit so advertised on there. Shit on For six hundred fifty k a week, these treasuries were just aping <laughs> millions of dollars in the nonsense. Like it was, they're, they're so right about that. I think makers paying graphic designers like eight hundred k a year. <laughs> By the way, you're trying to tokenize uranium now. I'm for it. <laughs> Are you guys gonna so buy for- uranium tokens? I would buy tokenized uranium. I was trying to buy uranium the other day, actually. Uranium has been one of those things like I've been meaning to buy forever, and I just like I never think about it. And it has been mooning lately. So the number just one producer, I like I am interested in uranium as well. Um, what do you What do you uh, I'm suggest? U- I'm using uh, ticker symbol CCJ. 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 What about what about quadruple U? I thought that was the uranium. U. So I think that's the raw. CCJ is a minor. Okay. And um, when when I was like pitched this just by a, a peer, Holy he was shit. telling me that um, the the majority of the uranium comes from like the stands, like Afghanistan, Kazakhstan. <laughs> so like um, that doesn't seem like a safe place to like count on investment dollars so like the the big north american sort of producer is is ccj cameco i believe it's called yeah and uh you know when i i bought this thing at at 25 bucks and it went up to like 32 and i sold it and now it's at 40 Mm. uh but i'm selling long the trader i'm selling long dated puts on this because i want to get it back down in like 15 dollar range it's not coming to me but i'm taking the taking the profits either way Fascinating. Okay, I gotta get on that. Are you still uh, are you still DJ and day trading? A uh, little bit. I I uh, lost forty dollars in the futures market Ooh. today. Ooh, wow! <laughs> Laying it heavy. Damn. Trading NQ. Yeah, I was trading NQ uh, one contract just to uh, okay see how I do. Losing forty bucks on one contracts. It was, it it's was like, like two points. It was bad. like <laughs> it's like one pip. Yeah, it was nothing. <laughs> I've been yeah. hearing you're like, well, this trade will cover two months of mortgage. I'll take that. Uh, I'll get one month mortgage of here. Take that. What is it like trying to earn an income as a trader? Like, are you are you just scalping just for like, pay, paying bills? Or what's going on these days? Well, I've been scalping a lot recently. Not for real monies yet, but um, I've been super, super into that in recent weeks like i I've, i sort of had this realization that like i'm really good at video games and hand-eye coordination and rapid information processing and i have absolutely no patience so i can confirm all that <laughs> yeah i think like a lot of this sort of philosophy everybody's like yeah you know well don't trade on mondays so that's gone and then any day before like non-farm payroll, oh, we don't trade that. Yeah. Trade that either. So Every day's a fucking red folder. And then <laughs> if the London takes the Asia highs and lows, well, don't trade that day because that's gonna be. So like, <laughs> it's only like three days a week where you could trade on average. And then like people are like, oh, you just gotta get this 
really nice setup on this ch- in in a trade between uh, ten and ten fifteen, and it's it's all very like um, really picking your spots, really picking your spots. And I found this guy on uh, Twitter randomly like uh, a month ago. His name's Dave. He's Dave teaches <laughs> yeah. FX or something. He's actually been like growing a, a lot, and I really resonated with him. Like he was trading. And he was taking like eighty-five trades in like a two-hour session. Sounds <laughs> like, like uh, ready for a fat finger mistake. And he's just like, "Oh God, fifteen-second char is too slow. I'm on the five-second now." And I was like, <laughs> "Didn't you take ninety trades in uh, an hour or something?" I traded. I took eighty trades today what? in two hours, which you is wait, you're doing this probably too much. You have hotkeys? No, I haven't done hotkeys yet. I'm st- I'm just like. I'm just paper trading because like this go very badly, very quickly. Do you use uh, do you use like a chart trader where you can trade directly from the chart? I'm trading directly on TradingView. Okay, yeah, from the from the candles themselves. <laughs> yeah, I got like a hundred k paper account. I made eighty seven hundred dollars today in eighty trades. Uh, Probably gonna cut me. that eighty trades down to. 20 trades. Excuse me, being sir. I myself. was watching Magic Lines and you said uh, market's going down. To make 8700 today, you had to be long. What's happening? Hmm. Wait, what? I was watching Magic Lines. On Magic Lines, you said market was going down in Q4. And but I'm, I'm talking about scalping right to now. To make money in this market today, because I was trying to, you had to be long. What are you talking about? Are you trolling me? No. So I, was, like, <laughs> I had a bearish bias going into the day. And I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to tank again. And then right when it started moving against me, I'm like, fuck this. I'm out. And that's why I only made that one trade. Sir, if you could see, like, my average trade time was, like, one minute. Oh. Like, I don't care if the market goes up today <laughs> You made 8700 today on paper. On paper, yes. Okay. I think you're ready for so the big I, leagues. I Let's like call them the, up. Um, <laughs> so one thing that's nice about the high volume stuff is you get a lot of, you get a lot of reps at bat, right? Totally. Like one thing I was struggling with um, when I was, you know, learning to swing trade is like, okay, you do the back testing and that's all good, but then you get to go and you get to get your live reps. You get a forward test, but if you're putting on four trades a week, you you say you need like a hundred trades to see if your sample size and your edge is there. It take you like. A lot of BPRs in the Math. one minute. Yeah, <laughs> lot, take a long, take a long time. I agree with you. There's a lot um, of reps that you can get in. But if I make 80 trades and I come out, it's like I make 80 trades, risking like 500 bucks a trade, and you come out like plus 8,500. Like the odds that you got lucky and that that's, that that sample size is just randomness is not very high. Actually, there's a very high probability that you're like a winning trader if you if you make 80 plus trades and you come out with like that sort of percentage on every trade and so 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 you get to see a lot faster like what works and what doesn't right and then you're also your your brain is just learning faster like you're seeing more things happen that you kind of learn from and and, and this process. is absolutely fucking insane so let me ask like, you this because like i i am on the one minute chart when i'm doing the futures and it's mostly just to fuck around basically but the one minute now is like the one minute now, you know how when you trade you're like looking at like you're probably looking at the four hour chart or the hourly chart for your sort of setup and then maybe you zoom in to the five or something for your entry i use a 15 and 15, 15 so five you're entering and- on like the 15 i'm looking at the one for the setup and then entering on the five second oh fuck me so let me ask you this like 
when you when you're entering this trade or any of these trades, I know you're entering with a with a a get out point too, like a stop loss, right? So this should move so fast, right? Like, and particularly when you have like a a chart that's like that, um, price can go the direction you want it to, like maybe two minutes later, but then you've already been stopped out on a 10 second move or what? Like, well, well doing this during like the open is like a very bad. Idea. I think, I think scalping the open is a different animal from what I'm doing. And I probably wouldn't do that. Or if I did, I'd use like a very reduced position size. Cause there's so much volatility, but if you're like scalping the Asian session of like, nasdaq futures doesn't move like that fast so it's it's not that big of a deal but it is much harder to manage like so i i used to trade with like a fixed risk i mean i still i guess i still do because that's still mostly what i do um so normally when i trade i trade with like a fixed risk say like one percent sir what does that mean oh fixed risk yeah not fixed wrist Yes, I'm yes. just imagining how many clicks you have <laughs> to do. Very important. Uh, don't want to bend the wrist too much. Um, but no, like say you have like a hundred thousand dollar account, it might be standard to risk one thousand dollars on the trade. So the amount of size you you know trade on that position would go up or down depending on how wide your stop loss is, right? Um, I think with this you have to trade with like a fixed lot. Like there's like a fixed size of contracts that you trade with. And then you can kind of like maybe, you know, pile on and stack additional orders on like as the trade goes in your direction or stuff. But you're mostly just like, oh, I trade five lots or 10 lots or whatever the size is. Right. And that's the thing you fix so that when you get in, it's a lot quicker. So you can this is really like something like a Ninja Trader. I need to figure out how to use because Ninja Trader, you know, you can just use like the hotkeys you can click a couple buttons and be boom and then you're in with your lot and there's a stop loss already there and then you can oh, kind you can of set a move fixed it around stop a little loss. bit yeah That's so you can cool. just fix and you can kind of do a lot of hotkeys because you yeah it's weird it's like this other it's like playing like starcraft or something suddenly like normally when you're trading like a 15 minute you can go out you can go outside and like walk the dog while you're in the position and come back and everything's fine like it, this something like this can go against you very fast. It, it's like playing Call of Duty. At what point do you implement the catheter so that you don't have to get up and take this? Mom! <laughs> meatloaf now! I, uh, I use Ninja Trader, and I, I would be interested in seeing you try it out and like on a, on a Magic Lines episode going live. Well, there's a request in the chat, and there's uh, two seconds to that suggestion. What's up? You, you trade live paper, paper trades, you don't have to acknowledge the chat. You don't talk to us. Just like, you know, go live. Maybe like a, a little handy cam towards a fixed wrist. Like while you... While you <laughs> yeah, don't even acknowledge the audience. Let us just uh, basically talk shit the entire time to each other <laughs> and to you. And you do your thing. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll get right on that. Let me... Suggestion box let me, <laughs> dropped. Let me get profitable with real money for a couple months. No, by no, we first. don't want to watch you real money. It's too, just too, uh, no, too intense want, for me. I actually want to see how you respond uh, to a loss, too. Like, this is I, actually key. I added one thing. I want to see a heart rate monitor on the screen. <laughs> real time. It's going to be very high. I, I won't need the catheter because like after like an hour, <laughs> you just like have to get up. Like, you're just so over. It, it's like when I used to play poker, kind of. Maybe 
slightly less stimulating, I guess. Well, because you were playing like thirty tables at the yeah. same time. Yeah, that was. Although I don't, I don't know. Like, there's, man, it's like trading is, it's, it's fun. It, it's a rush. It's also terrible. But yeah, like, it's say, also uh, like. Fun. I'm just calling, calling that, at some point in the future, I, I don't want you to have like a emotional breakdown because of your day trading. Like, oh, I will, and I don't want that to be on camera. Okay. So. I don't know. Well, we'll <laughs> that's why we want in now. We do. We yeah. want to. We'll see put it. a pin in that. But yeah, like the the five seconds a different beast. Like you are just real time. Like things are happening. You're just like, oh. It's I think like, if you want your channel to go to go viral to go big, you see a meltdown. Oh god, the the only oh like that Korean guy was his name Sato. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. He just like YOLO is like twenty million on Bitcoin and loses it, but he has so many donors that. Just keeps just keeps running counts. Well, those guys to like who like do professional them. gambling, but like they're getting paid so much by the gambling sites that like their losses are like just a fraction of how much they're earning on affiliate revenue from the gambling sites. You could be one of those guys. All right. Um, I love you too, Alyssa. Uh, <laughs> I already have to pee, so can we go to the meeting section? Can we? Can we yeah, progress I, on? I also have to urinate. Quite no, badly. no, you can't. No, do that just go into the meeting section. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Remember, everything's we meaningless. Nihilism for the win, <laughs> dude. You have, you're not even drinking alcohol. I know. I drink an entire. <laughs> 750 milliliter. Ah, you're you're fresh from Italy, dude. You're you're that's nothing for you. Ugh, all right. All right. So let's go into this um Canada government starts uh regulating podcasts. So yeah, Canada's dumb, Trudeau's stupid. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> How bad <laughs> you're ready to burst. There's only just, one just side kidding. of this I take. Love, to... I love you Canadians. <laughs> so um yeah, they're they're saying that you have to register with the Canadian government with this agency, the CRTC. So this is for podcasters. So it's actually for um, any streaming site. So any YouTube, platform, like, like Twitter, over oh, platforms. YouTube, I see. Yeah, Spotify, uh, if you're a podcast platform, yeah. Apple Podcasts, Spotify for sure. Or if you're independent, but you make ten million dollars in revenue, not profit, but ten million dollars in revenue, you also have to register. Okay. And it's to um, ensure online streaming services make meaningful contributions to Canadian and indigenous content. <laughs> what the fuck? What kind because, of Because that's what the voters that? are really asking for. Like, what? On, <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure all those two-spirit people are getting the content they need. Where on the voter priority list is this? I don't know, but uh, Trudeau loves the two-spirit. Two-spirit? What is that? Is that like the oh, indigenous yeah, population? No, what does that mean? Oh, that's in with all the letters now, at least in Canada. LGBT... 2S, LGBTQIA... So do they also get uh, money from casinos, or how does it work? I don't know. I'm not really an expert on Two-Spirit. Wait, is this an actual like, tribe, like you, or is this like just no, a general? I, I don't know. This generality. is like we're getting out of my, right, my pay right. grade right now, but I know it's like you, you are of Two-Spirit. I think it's like when you're like bi, but like with spirituality or something. Okay, I feel I like know. 100% probability we're completely inaccurate on this. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost because I thought we were talking about like native uh, Canadians. and we're and you're, I think it has roots in, I think it's where they got it from. But sexuality is completely so dissociated. All they no, want to know. Yeah, it's like, a, I, I don't know. All they want to know <laughs> is they just want to know a little information about your content and your listeners. That's it. What's so harmful about just like 
knowing about where your content comes from and who your listeners are. What could go wrong? I'm sensing some sarcasm in your voice, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you go back to the Canadian truckers who sh- were on strike because they were required to get a vaccine in order to be to do their job. They went on strike, and the Canadian government froze their bank froze accounts. Froze their fucking bank accounts, and not only them, but anyone who donated to them frozen bank account. I don't know. Like, I feel like. I, every time I look at Canada now, I'm like, what is going on up there? Like, did you see last week they had, like, the Nazi, the actual Nazi guy, like, in Parliament, and they were cheering for him, and they were like, oh, oops. We, oh, we didn't know. We didn't know this guy who was fighting, uh, you know, the, the Russians in Ukraine in World War II was uh, Someone knew. On, on that side. Yeah. <laughs> Someone know? fucking knew. How do you not know? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm I, I'm sad. That this is happening, obviously. The the I think the main takeaway from this for me is that these governments are doing something now, which I think is like really nefarious and dangerous. Like instead of passing some like national legislation to enact policies, they're basically just leveraging big tech as a means to sort of push through like a like a like nasty political agendas and they're doing it in a way that sort of you know circumvents the voters and it's it's kind of scary to see how easy that is to do i mean i know we got a little bit of a taste of it here well um, yeah when trump got blacklisted from every social media site (laughs) there's been some things but this is like this is like that on on steroids it's it's kind of i mean like the the saddest thing is like one their constituents are not even i mean like who's requesting this kind of like political agenda, but it's, I don't think it's a political agenda. It's just that they observe themselves like they're in theater on a stage and you have to keep the facade in order to keep things in line. It's like classic virtue signaling, but like in order to not see behind the scenes, they think, I don't know. they, They think that like, you know, doing a good play is the job of someone in the office rather than actually solving problems. And like, for the most part, they've been supported for it, right? Like you put up a good face, you look like a president, you say the shibboleths, like you tend to be Ooh, rewarded for shibboleths. Shibboleths. I forgot what that meant. It's a good one. That's uh, Sam Bankman used that word. What does it mean again? You want me to look it up for you? <laughs> you just used it and you forgot? Well, no, I, I mean, like, let's get a... Uh, Aren't they, there's, like, things that, like, the... That everyone is supposed is it to... Any custom or tradition, usually a choice or phrasing, or even a single word that distinguishes one group of people from another. Hand. It's like, hey, we're, we're part of this Hey, I'm group. in this group. You're in this group. These are the things we say. Oh, I we see. say things like climate change, bad. It's a good word. Okay, so let ESG me ask you this, good. like... But, Climate change is bad, Nick. How does um, how does this, how do you think this actually manifests itself? Because there's like podcast platforms, but then there's a bunch of individual podcasts on there, but they're not they're not regulating the podcast. They're regulating the platform. So like if if like Apple Podcast <laughs> plays um, some podcast that is not approved, then no, like the entire Apple platform? just has to register as a platform, and then they will be forced to like give up information. I don't know what information. A lot of this, by the way, is like totally open-ended and ambiguous about what exactly will be required. There will be a period of like public comment where they can, you know, input on how these things should be actually executed. 
but uh, they might be required to give up information on like who or the demographics of like who's listening to which podcasts and where the content comes from. Like Alex Jones is like a great example, right? He's kind of an independent guy, definitely makes over 10 million in revenue. He would definitely be registering, providing, I don't know what information about his content that it, other than he just makes it up um, and information on his listeners. Yeah, don't talk it, about Alex like that. <laughs> I'll happily talk about Alex like that. That guy's a fucking joke. Anyway. Um, so... <laughs> Don't make me bust out my. I'm not. I'm not drunk enough for my Alex Jones. You're you're 100 sober, so yeah, you can't. You have no excuse. It's pretty to good. It's gonna come out Alex spontaneously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It just seems like another tool that's like, I don't know. If you're playing the virtue signaling game, it's like this little trigger you could you could pull on, and it's it's very tempting. You don't. You're not supposed to use it, but like over time, it's just like this temptation, and it's there for you. And if Ever the occasion rises, it's one of those tools you can use. Um, like we used, uh, I don't know, uh, pulling Russia from the the Swift like infrastructure, right? Uh, banning their bank account, closing their, shutting down their bank accounts for these Canadian truckers. It's just another tool that, of course, when it's designed, it's never saying, "Well, it's not. This is not censorship." Yeah, we won't use it for that. No, no, of course we won't. Except that you actually can. Um, so you think it should be legal? To tell people that they're turning the frogs gay is what you're saying. That's their that's their free speech and like it's messed up, Nick. But Can't they're gonna have to compete in the market of ideas of like what is real and what is not. So I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um, there's also a separate bill, separate legislation that um, Canada required that Facebook um, pay news publishers a cut because essentially, like. Facebook's, their standpoint is there's, with your platform, you get all this free content from these news publishers and you're not compensating them for them. So they have a bill that's coming into law that has already been signed and going to come into enforcement where Facebook is required to pay CNN in Canada for getting their free, quote unquote, free content. So Zuck said, sure. And they just shut down all access to all Canadians, to all news sources on Facebook, Instagram, all their platforms. Ooh, that's kind of like a, a strong arm. I, I kind of like that. Cause Chad like, Zuck. Because Canada says, like, well, you're going to do this. And then tech companies are like, hmm, well, like, not going yeah, to play that. Well, it's a very one-sided <laughs> argument right now. Like, right now, the Canadian government, Trudeau, is looking at it like, well, you're just uh, you're freeloading off these guys' content, and you should pay them. And the other side of the argument has not been apparent. But now it is because... There's people like, how, I did not know this news event was happening. There was something locally or regionally in my case. There's journalists who are like, I worked two months on this investigative piece, and now I cannot get my content spread to people who follow me because the way we spread our content and our news is through Facebook's platforms. And so now these other the other side of the argument is actually showing up. So I think uh, Zuck's... Uh, you know. Softening? No, not softening, but just he, he called their bluff, and I think it's working to his favor because at some point, citizens are going to be like, why can't I get my news on, my, on the app? So they'll push the Canadian government to change. Hopefully, yeah. I okay, mean, speaking of Zuck, and this is definitely going to take us off this convo, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, did you see the interview with uh, Lex? 
Uh, I saw 10 seconds of where they're in the metaverse. Yeah. How'd it look? Okay, so I thought it looked good. Also, I think that viewing it from the third person probably makes it look like way less cool than it actually is to be in it. But I kind of got like I kind of got like little goosebumps from it actually. I, I I was like, "Oh, this is this is like a thing." Like that's the future. It all happened so fast too. Like do, do you remember when everybody was trolling Zuck with the metaverse where they had that like they had those like shitty cartoon, cartoon avatars. Characters. They yeah. look like uh, they were just like Nintendo Wii characters. Forty billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people were like this, that was it. Like Facebook was going to zero, um, and then not even a year later, stock is way up, and we've got this now. And these are fo- you should describe that these are photorealistic avatars. It's not like a, ca- a cartoon avatar. It's like you and I could be in different physical yeah. locations, but when we throw on the headset. You look like you, photorealistic, and you see me, and you can place me where you want. You can also put the lighting where you want, and then a recording can happen, which you can then distribute out to people. Yeah, so for people who didn't see the interview, Lex Friedman interviewed Mark Zuckerberg, and they were wearing their kind of new Oculus headsets or whatever, and they have the ability to sort of render these like uber photorealistic avatar versions of yourself and the the most important part of it is like the face right the rest of it is sort of whatever but like if you can capture all of the nuance of face and human expression it's like quite quite a remarkable feat to be able to do that especially to do that and not be familiar with like the uncanny valley yep no what's that so the uncanny valley is this thing that happens where when you do like sort of a digital mock-up of like say like a human right imagine like a pixar movie if I put you in a Pixar movie and you're kind of like you know, a Toy Story character, you look cute and it's appealing and we like it and we enjoy it. As we make you more realistic, more and more and more realistic, we hit this point where you're not like photorealistic and you're not cartoony. And there's this like gap, the valley, where when you're in that valley where you're obviously not cartoony, but you're also definitely not human, something in your brain goes, Oh, I don't like this. This yeah. looks like shit. The this experience like, gets worse. I like, I don't know if you ever saw, like, the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie. It was a very popular... There was memes all over the internet because Sonic was, like, Uncanny Valley Sonic. Like, it was horrifying. <laughs> it was, like, just <laughs> straight, like, nightmare fuel, right? So that's the danger in doing something like this. It's like, I'm ch- chatting with your little Kodak photorealistic avatar or whatever it is, and, like... <laughs> He's just, just like scared. trapped in a dark room with you, like this <laughs> <laughs> is horrifying, right? So, for them to pull that off and be like, "Oh wow, it's like I'm with you," I think is like super remarkable accomplishment, really. And I was just thinking about all of the ramifications this could have, like, like where you can like actually just hang out, sort of in mixed reality with anybody. Do you know what kind of hardware? requirement there yeah, was like, to produce that so i mean they put on the full oculus headset so okay. that it's 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 not it's pretty cumbersome <laughs> right it's like a full almost like a headgear and then uh but steven do you know did they have to do like a facial scan because like no way the oculus just kind of like, create your jaw like yeah exactly so like, yeah i think you have to do some sort of like upload scan thing it has to get all your stuff and then it's able to kind of track the positions on your face but a lot of that rendering is done previously 
Yeah. So, but is it as my easy as like FaceTime, where you just kind of like turn your face a few times and like roll your head I around? I don't think it's that easy yet, but it probably will be. Like, I mean, this was like an early version of the product that's not available for mass market. Is 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 my understanding? Um, but like, it's man, it's looking like it's really close, and oh man, it could be so cool. Like, I'm I'm just thinking about being able to like watch courtside basketball games and then like you and your boys oh. are in all the seats next to each other just photorealistic. out photorealistic like watching the game imagine so our cool. our audience that's in the live stream are just like all around us amongst us right now that'd, Ooh, be, that'd be cool yeah <laughs> that'd be super cool or actually it could go very bad very <laughs> now that i think about it uh more why can't we pay like I don't know, $100 a year to sit courtside and watch NBA games yet. Is this technology not I, there I yet? I was wondering why that's not a thing yet. Like, it seems like that should be a thing at this point. That seems like such a... Like, take my money. ...obvious cash cow. So is the sphere then rendered obsolete? Because uh, in-person shows or in-person entertainment no longer useful? <sighs> Buy? Sell? Probably Buy. not. I mean, there's still a certain energy to that concert. But, like... God, think of, like, how much money creators will make right like nobody they have like taylor swift concerts on netflix and stuff and you watch them and they're like i, I mean i used to watch like dvds and my favorite bands yeah, the full it was, like, taylor swift of cool. <laughs> yeah it's but, okay if you do no all right but you pay like 10 bucks for that like one time and ever again but if you could like go to like a Metallica show and feel like you're there and look look around and have like the sound and everything. Walk on stage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like that would be pretty cool. And now you can sell that to like all of your fans anywhere in the world. Like that's a whole new the entire globe is cool pretty big station venue. I mean like uh Tony Robbins, probably a terrible like comparison, but he used to sell out, you know, tickets for ten thousand people at his in-person seminars and then COVID happened. He's like, fuck, this is terrible. Like they're not going to be able to experience what it's like to be in a room for like four days in a row and you're fully immersed. But I think what he quickly realized like, Oh shit, I can sell a lot more than 10,000 tickets on this, you know, semi virtual zoom experience. Yep. Uh, but like if he was able to use technology like this, where it's fully immersive, I mean, every, Every sort content a, creator would no brainer. Yeah, no brainer. It's super exciting. And the other thing about it, they said that was like super cool, is like they're gonna like you're gonna be able to just like upload yourself and like when you die, your friends are gonna be able to your family gonna be able to like hang out with you and talk to you. Like, like we're all gonna have our own AI version of AI, so which maybe is, leads into the next thing yeah, you want to talk about. This is a perfect uh intro into the While next you bring topic. that up, Adam said I have to Google Sonic Teeth. He says, I dare you. All right, so there's been a few new devices um, that have been released. One is called uh, Rewind AI Pendant. One is called the Humane Pin. And the other is the Tab Necklace. So Rewind AI is probably a good way to kind of like set the stage for this. Oh, that is so, horrifying. So <laughs> Rewind... Hold on, let's see Sonic Teeth real quick. Do you have it on your phone? Well, we don't have a Jordan here to show it on the <laughs> screen, so you can't hold down on people. <laughs> I'm going to um, Google it. So Rewind it's AI... like. It's, it's an app on your desktop. It's an app on your phone. And essentially what it does is it records everything you do on your laptop and on your phone. So it's cross-app. It's not recording a specific app. 
recording everything you do from the sites you visit to what you type to if you use iMessage on there, it'll record the text message you send. And it's kind of like your second brain. And you can, if you're like, man, what was that thing I did two days ago? I don't remember what it is. I didn't, I didn't actually write it down. You use Rewind AI, you can search it. So what their new product is, is a physical necklace. It's called a pendant. And it goes around your neck. It looks like this like benign black cylinder, kind of fashionable. But it records everything that you do. So as you go throughout your day, audio on all the time, all the conversations you have, and you could be like, rewind. What did I talk about at dinner last night? And he'd be like, oh, well, you talked about, uh, you know, fiscal dominance and bond yields going up and all, all these things. And you'd be like, oh, that's pretty fucking useful. But we quickly enter this, like, uh, I don't know, two-edged sword of, you know, if, Eric, I had dinner with you last night, I was recording myself. You didn't opt into that. It's recording both of our conversations. Um, and on one end, it could be like a, the base layer for your personal AI. Because the personal AI kind of needs to know what everything that you do, your preferences, where you went, where, you know, what you talk about to, to kind of serve you your personal content. Um, but the other end of the spectrum, like, I don't know, you could name 10 dystopian things that could go wrong with this. And then I saw another product. It was kind of a joke product. By the way, I researched into it deeper. <laughs> this guy came up with a product called, um, let's see, Silentio. Silentio? First, first wearable necklace that blocks recordings. And it's based on a study at Michigan State where they showed that like you could potentially use some form of technology to prevent your voice from being captured on recording devices. It was a joke, you know, quote unquote product launch. It doesn't actually exist. You can't buy it. But we have two ends of the spectrum here. Like people are like, yes, record fucking everything I do. And people are like, no, don't record anything I do. So this is a perfect topic, I think, for this podcast in particular. <laughs> and I want to know where you guys kind of Where do you sit land? On it. Yeah, where you land? I would wear the pendant. I would wear the pendant. I'd have a little wingman that's always like got my back. Cool. I like that. I, I don't even see the downsides that you're describing. You said like this could go so wrong. I mean, I'm not doing anything too crazy, too okay. illegal. Like I All right, let me let me throw out a few scenarios to you. Okay. Um let's say uh, you're hanging out with your single buddies. They don't have significant others, and they just continue to joke on about strip clubs. And you kind of go along with the conversation because, like, that's how you do. You kind of like you're you're a chameleon when it comes to like being groups. You kind of like go with the yeah. yeah, you're a simulator. You go with the flow, and I don't know. You crack some jokes about strip clubs too, and how they could be fun as well. Maybe it's not actually your thing. It it, it actually isn't. But like, maybe just go along with the flow. I don't know. Maybe sometime later. You, your significant other finds out that like, hey, these guys went to a strip club. Did you go to a strip club? What do you think about strip clubs? And you're like, yeah. ah, I'm not really into them. Well, she's like, well, like, why <laughs> don't we just, the, here's just, the receipts. Just, just to be sure, like, why don't we just, why don't we just search your rewind? It's a powerful just, technology for stalker girlfriends. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Here's, here's, here's another case. You're an operator of a business. You have fiduciary responsibility. Um, 
I don't know, some flagrant client off his rocker says, you didn't, uh, you know, exude fiduciary like type responsibilities over my assets. Um, you know, this is actually court evidence. Like what's on your pendant True, is court evidence. And you made a joke to your cousin about this and that. And now that offhanded joke is now evidence in a court case, which you know has no relevance to how you, you know, manage the money. So those are two, I think, like, off-the-cuff, mm. light-hearted. Nicely done off-the-cuff. Yeah, sounds off the very, cuff. Sounds very Black Mirror. This is, a good, uh, this is a good crypto use case, actually. Why? Like, I mean, there's, there's going to become a point in, in the future where it's going to be, like, really useful for you to have this immense amount of data about yourself, but you're going to be, like, very worried about, like, who has that data, right? So if that data could be cryptographically stored in such a way where you could sort of verify like that nobody else could like get access to the data against you. You can verify that nobody else has the data. Like that's interesting and maybe also compelling for the, the, the court case in a particular way. If there's some way to, you know, like we're going to need, this all sounds very black mirror. -y. I think there was a black mirror episode like this. There was a black mirror episode where everybody, I remember this one actually, Everybody was recording all of their memories at all time. And like people were just like kind of sitting on the couch with their significant other and they're just like playing back memories <laughs> and stuff that happened. The the creepy scene was like they're like in bed, you know, doing it. And they're both <laughs> eyeballs are, their eyeballs are just like flipping with like memories of like other people that they banged while oh, they banged Jesus. each other. It was like it was the most icky I've ever felt watching anything on TV. It was, Damn, they were both doing that. They were both doing it. Like, it was... Whoa. The very opposite of being present. <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's a good point, because, like, the argument against is, like, it's kind of nice that we forget things, right? Like, it's kind of nice that, like, you don't remember all the things you've done in your life, because, like, we could all count up, chalk up lines to the, the very virtuous things we've done when no one was looking, but then also, like... You know the, the things you're not so proud of and like do you really want that part of your record to pick and choose uh, from that's pretty cool i agree with you and it's also nice to uh, at times like be reminded of something that you didn't remember and you're like oh shit yeah that so did your iphone does that for you and your your images it'll just kind of like naturally bring up hey yeah. do you remember a year yeah, ago you this? guys were like hanging out here here's some photos from it's that time nice. yeah it's kind of nice it seems like super obvious that this is going to be a thing for sure like people always adopt this stuff nobody ever wants like less privacy they always want like more data more ease of life and we're, we're obviously all going to be walking around with our own personal kind of ai assistants that know everything about our lives can help us right there's probably gonna be some interesting businesses that sprout up right like it there are certain states that have two-party consent and there's certain states that don't for recording really right i feel like california actually oddly enough doesn't have it and I feel like that's the case because I feel like I remember learning that and thinking, well, that's very odd for California. Um, but fact check me on that. But if that's the case, like there's probably a need for some sort of technology that sort of manages like the opt in, opt out and like can like recognize your voice. And like like if some company is running their software in California, it has to be compliant with whatever state's rules, Jesus. which means it like has to only allow your voice if you consent to it. So it has to run some tech that recognizes your voice and did you opt in and everything? And if not, then it has to sort of 
block it in a Eric, way. Eric, this dinner is being recorded for memory purposes. <laughs> yeah, do you guys remember uh, <laughs> Google Glasses? Like oh, yeah, Google of course. Glass? That was just like they hit the NOS too early too, right? Like this is the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. I got okay, to try those on. Our, our resident lawyer said that California is a two-party consent state for recording. Thank you, Thank Adam. you. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, like, so how does that work? Not is a this lawyer. Thing, is this thing, uh, thing, no way, it's fucking compliant. Right? Like, is this, is this available to sell anywhere you go? I don't know. I feel like every celebrity would have these, right? Like, you saw that. Did you guys see that like horrible story with that pitcher? Who oh, was, Trevor Bauer, man. Yeah, Trevor Bauer. Like, I, he, I got, he got a, accused of uh, rape, I guess. Yeah, he was like Cy Young Award winner when he was like 20 or something. This girl came out, accused him of like sexual assault. MLB basically just immediately he got, banned He got him. Uh, blacklisted from Major League Baseball, released from the Dodgers. He's pitching in Japan right now. Um, and it, it all just came out that like yeah like she he was sued a fraud. this girl just for discovery basically, and got ac- got access to a bunch of texts and stuff that they kind of withheld, and like she had this like whole convo with like one of her friends just plotting out the whole thing. It was, he a, was like reading it, it out. It was a preordained plan to to like go get him, like go get him for his money. Yeah, it was like disturbing to read and like horrifying it's like really terrible to think that somebody's life could just be destroyed like that you know but like people like that would want technology like this like they want to be able to go into court and be like well here's a transcript of everything that ever happened that night there's all the the data i mean there's like a lot of use cases where you could see where you know in order to really leverage UI on a very personal scenario, there's a lot of manual input you have to do, right? Like uh, with ChatGPT, you have to enter in custom instructions. Like if if you want to uh, talk about the use case of, hey, there's a part of me that's going to live on beyond my physical body in this like uh, I don't know Mark Zuckerberg sphere. But where where is that context going to come from? It's going to come from images. It's going to come from maybe your Notion or your Evernote. But like in order to provide that context, even for just like basic productivity tasks, you kind of have to manually enter in like, hey, AI, here's what I talked about on on this dinner and like manually type it out. Wouldn't it be easier if it's just kind of always on and like as you're heading up to a meeting in Del Mar, it's like, hey, you mentioned like seven months ago that you wanted to get this uh, special meat to cook on the barbecue you and your wife so like it's it's near this meeting like you should after this meeting you have time in your calendar you should go grab this cardiff crack you know tri-tip and then you know that's pretty cool you're like oh yeah thanks for reminding me you're right i should do that so it's basically going to record everything you do all the audio maybe visual stuff pretty soon and then it's on all your devices also recording everything that you type and all that and then you basically end up with this gigantic data set of you and then you can do this like interesting stuff with it, and also some possibly horrifically dystopian stuff with it. Yeah. But like, yeah, having some sort of data privacy seems like really and are we, important. But, there are we really that far away from what this thing is recording? Like, no. Everyone kind of like jokes around like my iPhone is listening to me for ads. My phone is listening. My TV is listening. My Amazon Echo is listening. My Siri home device is listening. We're not. 
that far away from it? Is it that big of a jump to say like everything? I, I would recorded? I would wear this device if all it did was record where I put my keys when I came home. <laughs> you I would just give up all freedom, all, all privacy this morning, trying to find my car keys to take Ziggy to the dog park. I've never. I almost punched a hole in the wall. I was like combing every inch of the house for the damn car. If that was all the device did was just <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm serious. It's all it does. It's just like records wherever I leave just my bill car of rights <laughs> thrown away, trash away. Just you find my car keys. It would save me at least like three hours a month. I think maybe maybe more. I mean the it's biggest a lot of hours. Yeah, the biggest dystopian thing is like okay, if the Canadian government is willing to use like streaming platforms, you know to politely register now with a very easy you know yeah, trigger that's finger that's why you need the cryptographic guarantees of your data so, so that zero data, knowledge no no like I'm not, I'm not denying yeah. that like what i said is what i said but like i might have been in a completely different state what i said i might or, have been like <laughs> literally going along with a conversation yeah, just measure intent or yeah like what if i was just riffing off them and i'm actually just i don't know uh trying to continue the relationship i'm just building rapport and i actually don't you know fully subscribe to what i'm doing i'm just kind of like going along with them but that now that's part of like evidence in the future and i don't know it just sounds like almost like precog from what's that tom cruise movie it could go badly uh, minority report minority, minority report. report. Yeah. it could yeah. go very badly no doubt i'm being informed by calcium that i can solve this problem with a air tag on my keychain you can yeah i should probably do that you definitely <laughs> need that does it beep like when it's near, like how do you find it when it's super close? What do you mean? You go on your phone, and it tells you it's like literally located in this portion. So it has like a separate. I think kind it uses of like a mesh network from one. all the phones. Because I, I get how it does it at a high level, but what? But when it's like ten feet away from you, it could be like, oh yeah, it's to the left. Yeah, you could fire your feet. butler. No, I <laughs> agree with Stephen because like find my iPhone tells you it's like, oh, it's like it's in your house. Like imagine the keychain says like. Yeah, the keys are in yeah, your house. Yeah, I got well, it. it doesn't help. I got it. We know. It's it an airtight keychain. All right. We don't have to pile on anymore. <laughs> Just unleashing on you for being so inept. Well deserved. I have a lot of... Uh, you guys have any, like, knowledge gaps that ever happened in your life? No, I know everything. <laughs> Not that we acknowledge. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> but there's, like, times... like There's definitely been times where you've been talking to somebody and you say, like, a word and then, like, everybody looks at you and they're, and they're just like, what? That's not a word. You're like, what do you mean that's not a word? I've been saying that word my entire life, and everybody's like, it's not a word. Yeah. You can Stuff put like that's never happened to you? All the time. What word are you or talking there's about? There's just like some random thing that like everybody knows and you don't. And you're like, how did I go my whole life without knowing this thing? It's like Armand with Azure. Azure. Yeah. <laughs> Azure. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a knowledge gap. <laughs> <laughs> like literally everybody listening to the podcast, all, all of every, them, every, every single, single person. person was like, Azure. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. But I mean, is is it so harmless if like you could take the pendant off from time to time and just like like oh, this is a personal conversation, pendant off. Mm. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of against it. Maybe buying this another, is like the sign of us buying getting, another air tag immediately. Getting to a, a man of a certain age, and just kind of like poo pooing all yeah all progressive technology. Uh, the really funny I thing about the air tag thing is I already own three of them. I just haven't. That's bad. Yeah. I just use them on other. I have like my luggage, my dog, you know. <laughs> like when I, they, when they lost my bags on the way back, I landed in Seattle and was like, oh, my bags are in Atlanta. That's, that's good to know. 
Thanks. <laughs> All right, boys. Anything else uh, that we want to cover before we wrap up? I would love to keep talking, but I am about to wet myself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the people at home are going to have to wait until we gotta next week. we got to get this week. sponsored by a catheter maker by Johnson <laughs> & Johnson. <laughs> Add money, please. Uh, all right. Yeah, I think that's fun. a good place. Um, chat, I didn't call you out in Chat, the you were great. You were great We tonight. thank you. Oh, uh, Tyler yeah, Lilly. Put me in my place. Uh, happy birthday. Longtime listener of the podcast. Oh. Also, longtime cousin. Tyler. Of uh, this particular host, so happy birthday, bud. Happy birthday, Tyler. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. I think that's a good wrap. Steven, I need you to get physically away from me since you're feeling sickness. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel you infecting. You sound very nasally. <laughs> all right, guys. Later, everybody. We love you lots. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.